If you'd remain standing, our scripture comes this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come and has redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said through His holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath He swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. I shared last week that Zachary was gone. He was performing in Albuquerque, and he won his, his division. So congratulations, Zachary. <clears throat> Even better, I think he won a little money by winning his division, so that's a good thing too. No, I'm just kidding. Congratulations. It's good to be here with you all this morning, and I want to begin by thanking everyone who uh, gave of yourself last Sunday afternoon to come and help decorate the sanctuary. Um, I think when the sanctuary gets decorated, I think the comment that I hear the most is how beautiful everything always looks, and then always in January, it's, oh wow, it really seems bare without all the decorations, but that's kind of the way it is at our house as well, but Um, I just want to thank all of you for your help, um, you know, to help get this place ready uh, for all of the things that are happening um, during this season of Advent and in the month to come. You know, our church has the the privilege and opportunity to host the Clovis Community Chorus. We have the Clovis Community Band that will be having their concert here in a a couple of weeks, right? Oh, they're not here. Um, In a couple of weeks, we also have... uh, the Clovis High School Choir, they'll have their concert here in a couple, in, well, don't listen to me for the dates. You'll see the dates, but they're coming up. Um, I'm just saying there's a lot of things that are happening here, and it's just a beautiful place for us to, to host these things and also for us to worship God, so thank you. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, I hope you were able to have a good meal and good fellowship, and more importantly, you were able to just sit and take some time to take stock of what God has done in your life. Um, I know sometimes we get so focused on what's happening, or even the problems that we face, or just the things that are going on before us that we uh, overlook what God is doing and God has done. And if you're like me, I mean, we're just so blessed, right? And I am so thankful that God is so generous, that God wants the best for us. And in doing so, He offers us the opportunity to receive His grace and His forgiveness through the sending of His Son. And you and I always have the opportunity and and the invitation from Him to submit ourselves to Him. So this morning we're going to be starting our Advent Sermon Series. Today's not the first Sunday of Advent. The Advent wreath is not out. That's next Sunday. Uh, Our church calendar and the liturgical calendar of the year, there's always Christ the King Sunday that falls on the Sunday immediately preceding the first Sunday of Advent. In the church calendar, the first Sunday of Advent is actually the uh, January 1. 
if you will, of the calendar. And so the church calendar is a little different than, than the calendar that you and I follow for everything else. And so today in the church year is, is when we traditionally observe or we remember uh, the, the kingship of Jesus and the fact that God sent his son Jesus for us to worship him and to look to him in so many ways. So next Sunday, we're going to begin Advent. We'll light the Advent wreath, um, you know, and, and we'll begin to do those things to prepare ourselves for the celebration uh, of Christmas and for the time and, and for the opportunity that we have to worship together. And so this Advent, what we're going to be doing is looking at what is the most familiar story of the Bible, you know, the birth of Jesus. Now, I think it's funny, obviously for me, the most important story in the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus as I think about it. But I think if we talk about the most well-known story, the story that we hear every year, the story that secular culture has taken and we still see it, it's the story of Jesus, isn't it, and his birth. It's the story of Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. It's the story of Matthew chapter 1 and what uh, Matthew tells us in his um, his writing of, of what he remembers or what he wants to pass on to those about the birth of Jesus. And so I say it's a familiar story because I think sometimes when we read familiar stories, we can skip over them, can't we? We skip over different parts. I know if I go back and reread, well, right now I'm reading Lonesome Dove. Who likes Lonesome Dove? Katie didn't like Lonesome Dove very much. Yeah, Aaron, all right. So I'm rereading the Lonesome Dove books, and I'm actually in Lonesome Dove, like the actual book. I've read uh, Dead Man's Walk and Comanche Moon, so now I'm in Lonesome Dove, and, and I've read it I don't even know how many times, and I find myself at times, because I know the story so well, I'll skip a page almost. And then I'm like, wait, wait, I gotta go back, because this is a good, I know what's happening, so I have to go back and make sure that I'm rereading that story that I'm rereading those pages so that if I'm really going to be rereading the story, I have to read the story. I can't just read the highlights. I can't just watch the highlight reel. Although sometimes for some sporting events, it's really easy to just, I prefer to watch the highlight reel. I see what important happens and then I'm done. But the, this story is a little different. Because if we believe that God inspired the gospel writers to write what they wrote, to tell us about Jesus and his birth, then friends, we have to know that every word that they have placed in the Gospels is important for us to read and important for us to know. We have to know that the words that they tell us are the words that they wanted to convey to us that through the Holy Spirit, God guided them to put in there. And so sometimes when the, familiar, the story is so familiar, we read it and, and we miss things. Or we skip things. Or as I was reading today's scripture that we read as part of the worship, uh, as part of our scripture, you know, we, I don't read Zechariah's song very often at all because I'm familiar with it. And so my hope is that what we can do is we can take some time to see how God can use us, even when the way that God uses us might see familiar, seem familiar to us. I'm saying in these familiar words, I don't think we always have to see or experience some extraordinary thing for God to use us. God meets us in the ordinary. He meets us in the regular times. He gives us opportunities in our regular lives, in our regular day-to-day -day things to engage Him, to meet Him, and to worship Him. 
So as we read these words during the season of Advent, as you're thinking of them yourselves, as, as you're uh, encountering the different opportunities and ways that we hear the, the songs of the season and other things, I invite you to hear them like the first church heard them and those who experienced them felt them. Because in the words of the Gospels, we are invited to bring it all to God. We're invited to bring our joys and our sorrows, our hurts and our celebrations, our heartbreaks and our happiness. We're invited to bring everything to Him. Because in the words of the Gospels, God gives us the one answer for everything that we need, and that's Jesus Christ. Because they're intentional. Like I said, you know, there's no one the Gospel writers have included that God does not have an intent for us to know about this person and to read about this person. Especially those who played a part in the life of Jesus. There's no accidental inclusion. Because God had a plan, didn't He? God has a plan in using each of the men and women that we read about to help us to learn the story and to help Him to tell the story and to help point our eyes to God as we read and as we learn about Jesus Christ. Now to set the stage, we have to remember in the Old Testament, you'll go and you'll read the, the books of, of the prophets and it's getting towards the end. You know, the, the kingdom of Israel has been destroyed. The people are in exile. Cyrus has begun to allow the people of Israel to return to the land. So they've begun settling. This is when the conflict between the Samaritans, the people who reside in Samaria and, and the people who live in Jerusalem and the rest of Israel begin. There's been 400 years now that Israel has not had a prophet and the people of Israel are looking they're calling they're crying out they're wondering what's going to happen the pro the last prophet is actually the prophet Malachi and so you can read Malachi he says behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of other destruction Oh, so Malachi is setting the stage, is he not, for what God is going to send in the person of John the Baptist, who we read about today in looking at John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and reading the scripture about them. Because for 400 years, Israel has waited. As they've waited, they've called for a Messiah. As they've waited, they've experienced the oppression and, and the, um, the presence of having the Roman military and the Roman rulers over them. Uh, they are looking for a Messiah to reclaim Israel for God, a Messiah to free Israel from the darkness that had settled over the land. Darkness because they had been scattered. Darkness because they were incomplete. Darkness because they had sinned. They'd worshipped other gods. They kneeled to other rulers. Darkness because as they were trying to, to shed the, the yoke of the Romans, they're unable to do so. But they are reminded in Psalm 121, even in the darkness, that God does not slumber or sleep. God is always there for his people. So friends, I think it helps for us to set the store, stage and for us to remember that even after 400 years, God, as Israel waited in darkness, God was preparing for a new day that is going to dawn. And so in our scripture this morning, we've read from Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. We've actually read Luke's uh, account of, of Zechariah's song of celebration after John the Baptist was born. 
Zechariah, as you know, lived with his wife Elizabeth in a small town called Ein Karim outside of Jerusalem. Ein Karim is right outside of the city walls. Uh, if you could go to the Holy Land, you can visit Ein Karim. In fact, um, I think the, oh, there's the chapel. Um, one of our group members dropped his hat down the well of Ein Karim uh, when we went one time. It was kind of fun. But anyway, um, Ein Karim is, is where uh, John the Baptist's parents live. Uh, this was also during the reign of Herod the Great. We have to remember there's this great tension in the nation of Israel. They have the Romans over them, and then they have Herod's, who's their king. Herod is not really Jewish. Herod comes from the region of Idumea, which falls south of Israel. And so Herod has converted to Judaism in order to uh, be the official ruler of the nation of Israel. And so the people were not really pleased with Herod. Herod had uh, done whatever he could do to become the king of Israel to get Rome to appoint him, and so he was not viewed as, as authentic, and so everything he did was suspicious. And so we have Herod in, in his position, and then we read about immediately in, in Luke's gospel about Zechariah. Zechariah is about as Jewish as you can get in terms of ancestry and who he was. Zechariah was a priest. He was a descendant of Abijah, who was a descendant of Moses' brother Aaron. Aaron, we know from the book of Exodus, is the one that God selects to be the first high priest. So God has chosen Aaron, and he says, Aaron and your descendants will serve as my priests forever. The nation of Israel, as they settle the lands of Israel, as they move into the land after the Exodus, land is set aside for the, the families of Aaron to reside. You know, so there's all this structure. And so what, what Zechariah, what Luke wants us to see is that Zechariah is a priest's priest. He's a descendant of Aaron. He's one of the 24. There's 24 divisions of priests. There's 300 priests in each division. Each division is chosen to uh, oversee the temple worship for two weeks out of every year. And so Luke wants us to see this, that Zechariah is the priest among priests. Genetically, his ancestor is Aaron. He is, you know, a, a priest. And then Luke tells us this. He, he also says, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of, of uh, priests. And so Luke gives us this picture of these two faithful people. Both of who are righteous in the light side of God. Both who have observed all of God's commands. Both who have lived their life blamelessly. And he wants us to see that these two faithful people are in the eyes of God. Because he sets the stage on what they are going to do, on what their son is going to do in order to prepare us for the coming of Jesus. Because God's going to provide a miracle. A miracle that is going to point the eyes of those who hear him to Jesus. A miracle that is going to bring God himself glory a miracle that is going to set the stage who is, uh, for the one who is going to change God's relationship for his, with his people forever. See, it's not Zechariah and Elizabeth's son who is the one that's going to change our relationship with God, is it? I mean, the people wanted to make John the Baptist the one. They wanted to claim that John the Baptist was the Messiah. And what did John the Baptist say? He said, no, no, I'm not the one. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. Well, buckle his sandals. <clears throat> but their miracle is the one that is coming to announce the way and to point all of our eyes to Jesus. 
And so if you read in Luke chapter 1, it says, On that day Zechariah was prepared to enter the holy place in the temple to light the incense of God. He had been chosen, selected by lot, and had prepared himself to be clean and to be sinless before the Lord. He would be in the place where God resided in Jerusalem. And this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. If his division of priests only oversees the temple for two weeks out of the year, if there are 300 priests, if they are selected by lot, this may be his only opportunity that he has ever had in his life to be the one to go into this place and light the incense. This is significant. And so he enters the temple, he lights the incense, and Luke writes that the angel of the Lord appears to him standing at the right side of the altar, and the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Your prayer has been heard. Luke hasn't said anything to us about a prayer of Zechariah. You can go and you can read uh, the previous portion of of the Scripture, and there's nothing that it says to us about um, the prayer except for God appearing to them. Maybe they were praying for a son or a child. Maybe they were praying to God for a Messiah. Maybe they were praying that the Roman grip would be loosened. Those are all things that he could have been praying for. But the angel said, God has answered your prayer. See, friends, I think one thing we can learn from Zechariah's story is that sometimes our prayers don't even have to be the ones that we form in our mouths for God to know them. Sometimes they can be the ones that you and I don't even have to share with other people. We don't even have to say them out loud, but God knows our hearts. And we know from the scriptures that that God knows us in our, our most inward places. God knows the words that we put on our hearts that are laid on our minds before we ourselves at times even recognize them. And so I think what this story can show us is that in the story of Zechariah, we can see how God knew what his prayers were before he himself even knew them. And I think we can find comfort in that in realizing and recognizing that as long as our eyes, as we are, are oriented to God, He knows. And so even if our prayers feel incomplete, even if our our ability to communicate with God because of of things that are going on in our lives, whether it's the death of a loved one or or just a health issue or just needing a, a time of guidance or whatever else it is, Friends, I think we can rest assured that even if we can't put the words to God together, God knows the words. Because God knows our hearts. Just as when the angel appeared to Zechariah and he says, the Lord knows your prayers. The Lord knows your prayers and what you have prayed for will be done. Which really, Zechariah ended up with All three of his prayers. Well, two, really. If he was praying for a Messiah, the Messiah was coming. If he was praying for a child, the child was coming. You know, the the grip that Rome had over the land wasn't, you know, that, that was still a little ways off. But God answered his prayer. And the angel promised him a son who would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And he would go before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient of the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The one that 
John has been prom- that Zechariah has been promised in John the Baptist is the one that the book of Jeremiah is foretelling. Where Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I have appointed you as prophet to the nations. John would have the same ability of, of one of the greatest prophets that the people of Israel have ever looked to. You know, the, if you, you, they talk of the greatest prophets, it's Moses and then it's Elijah. And so John would have the same gifts of Elijah, the same spirit of Elijah, the same presence of Elijah. And the way that he was able to preach and heal and teach and confront and do whatever it was that he needed to do. But Zechariah questioned. And he says, how can I be sure? I'm old and my wife is well along in years. Friends, it's okay for us to question God sometimes. Because I think in Zechariah's story, what did God do? God doesn't scold him. God, I mean, he's not able to talk for nine months, which, you know, I mean. But God still uses him, right? And I think sometimes there's this perception that if we feel like God is calling us or leading us or, you know, it's normal for us to, to feel the ability or to at least need to question. Because our questions aren't going to scare God off. If anything, our questions are going to help God to see the, the condition of our heart or to help God to see how we are, are taking seriously the relationship that we have with Him or the call that He has placed on our lives or the way that He is choosing to work in and through us. I mean, I think there's a reason that, that Zechariah's question is posed. I think there's a reason that Luke included it, and that's for us to see that it's okay. That just in the time, if we do question, that God can still use us. God's not going to cause that question to discount us. God's not going to set us aside or cast us aside. If, if He's already chosen us, if He's already commissioned us, if He's already equipped us, if He's already enabled us, If he's already put us in a place to answer his call, if it's a question that you have, that's not something that he's going to go, well, no, can't use you now. If anything, it's going to give you an opportunity for him to, you know, to to work in your heart and in your mind as, as whatever it is that's before you is confirmed. And so Zechariah had to wait for nine months you know, and as I was thinking about Zechariah's story, if you'll see um, his time of waiting, he would have had to have been quiet when Mary comes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. When the child in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy when she heard the voice of Mary, who was carrying the Son of God. He would have had to have been quiet for that. I mean, isn't that just crazy to think about? He would have been silent, unable to describe the amazing once in his lifetime, possibly the only time he would ever get the opportunity to light the incense in the temple. He wouldn't have been able to share that. And he was silent. And out of his silence, God prepared to breathe new life into his people with John the Baptist pointing the way and pointing all of our eyes and our hearts to Jesus. Zechariah's son would signal that someone new was coming and that someone greater was coming to change the world. 
and to change our relationship with God himself. But it all began with the faithfulness of this man in the temple. Who God still used even as he questioned. See friends, I think there's a couple of things we can learn from Zechariah's story. I think the first is the reminder that God knows our prayers even when you and I are unable to utter them and we're not able to put them to work. Whether it's something that's so big or something that's so significant, or maybe it's something that we're just so overwhelmed that we can't put the words together, we can know from this story that God hears our prayers and God can act even when it's not this perfectly formed prayer in your mouth. And that's an amazing thing. I think the other thing that we can see from Zechariah's story is that God can handle our questions. That God can handle our doubt when, when we feel called and we say, Go, Lord, are you sure? That's okay. Because God will still meet us where we're at. He'll still use us as he wants us to use him. Used, and he'll still allow us to, to approach him with, with all that we have. Because he still used this man in the sending of his son, and in the pointing of all of our eyes to Jesus through him. When John was born, Zechariah shared these words of praise where he said the things that John was going to do, but even more importantly, he said the things that Jesus was going to do. That John was going to prepare the way to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Amen.